Good morning, Fellowship family. How are you doing? If you appreciated the extra hour of sleep, say I did. If you would have appreciated uh, even more two hours of extra sleep, say I would. Yeah, but we can be thankful even for those little things. Amen. That's what I was sharing with the team this morning. How I just, I don't know if it's an age thing, but the older I get, the more I just find myself being thankful to God for just those little things, even if it's one, one extra hour of sleep. But anyway, we're going to teach you a new song this morning. It might feel a little unfamiliar, but that's okay. It's going to be fun. It's, gonna, it's about the love of God, and it's very, yeah, I guess fun for me anyway would be a good description of it. I want to teach you the chorus and what I call a turnaround or... or, or a, it, it, it's na-na-na-na-na's. So the na-na-na-na-na's parts are for, for, for people that are that really, they don't consider themselves too cute for many things, okay? So it's not, you're not obligated, but you're welcome to give it a shot. So let me teach you the chorus, and then we will move on to a video. So here we go. You ready? Oh, how can it be? think we're capable if, if we think we're capable capable let's say we do let's give it one more shot all right chorus na 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 nas and then we will get started all right oh how can it be makes me want to sing every day i'm amazed at the way you love me This part's for the brave. The way, the way, the way you love me. Let's check out this video. Hello, fellowship. I have an important announcement today that requires your prayer and participation. As a church body, it's time to nominate new elders to the elder board as four of our current elders will be completing their terms of service next summer. In our church governance structure, the elder board is made up of godly men who make critical and significant decisions on behalf of all the congregations of fellowship. We are not a church with elders. We are a church led by elders. The nomination and recognition process are very important to the health of our church family. And here is what we're asking members of fellowship to do. First, please pray for the elder nomination process and discern whether you should nominate someone to the office of elder. Then, 
If you feel led by the Holy Spirit to make a nomination, please visit fellowshipnwa.org forward slash elder nomination and complete the online form. Read the accompanying document entitled Qualifications of an Elder before making your nomination. Or if you prefer a paper nomination form, you may pick one of those up in the worship center foyer at each campus. The nomination form will be attached to the qualifications of an elder document. Please mail paper nominations to the church office on the Rogers campus to the attention of the elders. The deadline for making a nomination is December 19th. Please pray for your elders as we initiate this process. Our desire is to be sensitive and responsive to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And finally, we would like to thank Rod Easley, Steve Lampkin, Dick Nervig, and Steve Weber for their years of service as elders. They have served the Lord faithfully and diligently during their tenure and have represented you well. When you see them, please thank them personally. Blessings to each of you for your prayers and participation in this phase of the elder nomination process. Thank you. All righty, fellowship family, let's stand and let's celebrate the love of Christ together. Every single time that grace stood there as I walked away, I don't know how you can't believe it. Lord knows you've had every reason to turn your back and disappear, but just the fact that you're still here, oh, how can it be, makes me want to see every day I'm amazed at
phenomenal job, by the way.
be seated.
so grateful for the example that you've given us of how to love. Lord, our example that we have in your Son and our Savior, Jesus, the submission he showed, the, the sacrificial love he showed. Lord, help us grasp that love. Help us understand it better and know that we are, because you are, your Spirit is in us, we are capable of the same thing. So help us learn and, and, and walk and 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 and, and, and love others the way that you've loved us. Father, we'll give you the glory and the praise. We love you because you first love us. Amen. Well, in December of 1994, I entered into a contractual relationship, a partnership, which has been a large part of my life ever since. This was a, it was a 50-50 deal. We shared 50-50 in all the profits and all of the losses. We uh, assumed responsibility for all risk. We shared in all assets and liabilities. We even had to file a joint tax return. And over time, this, this venture, we've acquired some assets. We've accumulated some liabilities. The partnership has had some successes. We've experienced some failures, we've weathered some negotiations, we've resolved some conflicts and navigated several changes in direction. And my partner and I are still in business. In fact, we decided many years ago that we would uh, oversee and fully fund all subsidiary entities birthed from the original partnership. In fact, our original pairing has now spun off three subsidiaries that have all grown to maturity, have become independent entities, have their own self-supporting revenue streams and assets and budgets, and a couple of pets. <laughs> the partnership that I speak of, of course, is marriage. For almost 29 years, my bride and I have attempted to live out to our original obligations as agreed upon in the original contract. We called them vows. Now, when Amy and I got married, when we entered into a covenant relationship before God, we had to figure out how this friendship, how this partnership was going to operate what were our individual expectations? What were our roles? What were our values or our guiding principles? And who was responsible for certain tasks? Who, who was gonna take out the trash? Who was going to run the budget? And was there order to it or was it a free-for-all each day? And, and we sought answers for these questions. We sought counseling for these questions. And we always wanted to know what the Lord had to say. Marriage was his idea, after all. He created it. And God had an intentional design for marriage. Intentional design for roles and responsibilities for both the bride and the groom as we both pursue the Lord, living out our roles. It's a beautiful thing when it works. Hey, I want you to open your Bibles this morning to the book of Ephesians. You see, tucked away in this New Testament letter that we've been studying this fall, verse by verse, and chapter five is one of the most prominent 
and lengthy passages on marriage in all of the scripture. And that's where we find ourselves today, Ephesians chapter five. Now, before we get to our assigned passage, let me place the section in the the letter in context of the whole book. You can divide the book of Ephesians into two parts. Chapters one to three focus on our identity in Christ. It's very doctrinal in nature. It's very theological. Chapters four through six are very practical in nature. Uh, Chapters one to three focus on doctrine. Chapters four to six focus on duty. One to three, creed. Uh, Four to six, conduct. And that's where we've been for the last three weeks. We're in the application section of the letter. We've turned the corner. And so far, chapters four and five have delivered for us a robust challenge in our lives. Here's some of the things we've looked at. Chapter four opened up with a challenge that said, live lives worthy of your calling. And we talked about living worthy and humility and unity and maturity. The second half of chapter four called for a new you. Put off the old self with its sinful desires and put on the new self created to be like God. Last week, John Barclay delivered the first half of chapter five and he talked to us about walking in love and walking in light and walking in wisdom. And none of that is possible without being filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's where we left off. Now, the second part of chapter five is gonna gonna flesh that out a little bit. So what does it look like to live out this stuff in the context of our everyday essential relationships? And chapter five, verse 21, gives us a strong principle upon which to found it. Look at chapter five, verse 21. It says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Note the first verse contains this cause and effect relationship. Our relationship with God should affect the way we relate to others. Following Jesus is not just a personal thing. It has influence on our relationships. It carries over into our marriages and into our parenting and into our work life and into our relationships with our friends and our neighbors. As followers of Christ who are trying to live lives worthy, who are filled with the Spirit, we are called to relate to one another in a certain way, and the instruction calls for mutual submission. It says, out of reverence for Christ, out of respect for the Lord, submit to one another. Yield to one another. Honor one another. Put the needs of others ahead of your own. You don't always have to get your own way. You don't always have to be in control or push your own agenda or opinion or preference. You know, that word submit is not a very popular word in our culture, is it? How many of you are looking forward to submitting today? Submission is often viewed as failure or weakness or the result of defeat or oppression. To submit is to lose or to be inadequate. But that's that's not how submission is viewed in the scriptures. In the scriptures, submission is strength under control. It's an application of humility. It is a catalyst for unity. The Bible actually elevates this concept of submitting to one another as a Christ-honoring practice, a posture of surrender is held in high esteem in the scriptures. Let's define that term, submit. 
To submit is to yield to the power or the authority of another. To submit to someone is to allow them to take the lead, to direct, to have the ultimate say in our affairs. And we submit every day as we live out our lives. When you drive a car, you submit to the rules of the road. When you go to work, you submit to the policies of your employer. When you put your kids in school, you submit to the guidelines of the school district. When you play sports, you follow the directives of the coach. When you go to the airport, you follow the guidelines of the TSA or you don't get on the plane. You could say that submission is a universal duty. It's a necessary currency for peaceful and orderly living. And according to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, mutual submission is a value in the kingdom of God. It's a healthy practice for harmonious living. The text calls for us to submit to one another, to yield to one another. It's a fruit of being filled with the Spirit. To give way to one another is one way to outwork our reverence for Christ. So what does this have to do with marriage? Everything. In the next 20 plus verses, the passage is going to apply this concept of mutual submission. It's going to flesh out this principle in three primary relationships that were present in every Ephesus first century home. Marriage, parenting, and the work relationships. Wives, submit to your husbands. Children, submit to your parents. Slaves, submit to your masters. And note that the passage is not going to be one-sided. It addresses both parties in the relationship. Remember, this is a call to what kind of submission? Mutual submission. And we're actually gonna take two weeks to cover these three relationships. So today, we'll talk about mutual submission in the context of marriage. Next week, we'll talk about points two and three. So let's talk marriage. What does mutual submission look like? Go to verse 22. It reads, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Wives, follow the leadership of your husband as he follows the leadership of Christ. And trust yourself to your husband's care just as you entrust yourself to the Lord. And as Christ is the head of the church, as he is the sacrificial servant leader of the church, husbands, lead your home that way. So what's the Bible saying here? Well, it's describing roles and responsibilities in the marriage relationship. There's a divine order when it comes to the home. By God's design, the husband is, practice, is called to practice servant leadership. The responsibility for the well-being of the home ultimately is assigned to him. It's speaking of male headship. Let me show you a couple of proof texts. Let's go back to Genesis, Genesis chapter two. So we're back in the blueprint chapters of the Bible. Genesis one, two, and three are the blueprints for humanity. And they reveal God's intended design. Look at this verse, Genesis chapter two, verse 18. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone, I will make a helper suitable for him. The first part of the design is a mutually beneficial relationship or partnership called marriage. 
It is not good for man to be alone, and it's not good for woman to be alone. And God designed this mutually beneficial relationship called marriage for them to experience and to enjoy. But within the marriage relationship, there are roles. God assigned the husband to lead the wife and the wife to be his helpmate. This has been God's plan from the beginning. In 1 Corinthians, it describes the divine order this way. It says, I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ. And the head of the woman is man. And the head of Christ is God. There is a divine order. God is the head of all. Christ is the head over man. And as the husband follows Christ, his wife follows his lead. So under the banner of mutual submission, marriage is designed to thrive as each fulfill their role. Husbands, servant leader. Wives, loving helpmate. Now let me stop right here. Because I know that for some of you, these words are actually surprising maybe off-putting, maybe even triggering or painful. Why is that? Let's suggest three possibilities. First, the word submit can be received as a very harsh term. It can actually sound oppressive and could be misunderstood and definitely misapplied. Secondly, Let's recognize that this is very counterculture. We are swimming upstream. We're going against the flow of traffic for 2022. We actually live in an age of liberation and many have fought hard to break the powers of oppression, specifically in the three categories mentioned in Ephesians chapter five and six with women and children and in the labor force or slavery. It seems like these are outdated social constructs, so you may struggle. And let's be honest, in our history, these texts have been perverted and have been abused by sinful men who've misapplied the passage, who've dominated their female counterparts or considered themselves superior. So I know for some of you, and especially some of my sisters in Christ, my beloved and respected sisters in Christ, these words stir up some emotions. And I want to recognize just the potential difficulties of sitting under a passage like this. I just want you to know I care what you think and that you're deeply respected. So we need to approach the passage with some humility, even sensitivity. But having said that, we approach the passage recognizing that this is the inspired, holy word of God. And we believe that it's inerrant, and infallible and authoritative for life and for ministry. And we, we hold God's word above all else. It is our only standard of truth. We hold it above our own personal opinion or our cultural vibe or our personal emotion. And so we come to it in surrender. But most importantly, we recognize that these words are a source of wisdom for life. So I'll tell you how I handle a passage like today is that I ask, Lord, what are you up to here? Like, what do you see in marriage? And rather than running away from it or hiding it away or certainly throwing it away, I say, Lord, how can these words bring life and health? What do you know about marriage? So let's dig in. First, remember we're talking about roles, not personhood. 
when it comes to marriage, the scriptures present a dual reality. That there is equality of personhood and distinction in role. Both the man and the woman are equal in value and dignity and importance. Both man and woman bear the image of God, are loved by him. He died for them on the cross. Both man and woman are filled with the spirit. Both are given gifts and talents and called to bring glory to their God in their lives. Equal in personhood. Amen? But when it comes to roles within the marriage, there's distinction. The husband is called to take the lead, to bear the burden, the responsibility for the health of the home. Ultimately, men, one day you will stand before God and give an account for your marriage. So there's equality of personhood, yet divine order. Now we see this concept of equality of personhood, yet distinction in role, all over our culture. When you go to work tomorrow, there's going to be equality of personhood, yet distinction in role. Not everybody is going to direct your company or your school or your entity. There are certain people who have roles that call the shots or make decisions about the money. Yet there's no distinction in who's more valuable before God. Both of you are equal in dignity and importance and in value, right? If you've ever played sports, some people get to touch the ball and chubby guys like me don't. <laughs> Coaches call the plays. Players run them. Athletic directors directors fire coaches like at Auburn and they make hires other people don't it doesn't mean that an offensive lineman is less important in dignity and value than the quarterback but he has a role does that make sense it's also true in the church we had the elder video up earlier not everybody in here will be an elder but everybody in here is valuable and has dignity before God the elders are going to make decisions on things around fellowship. and They're going to decide certain things. Not all of us will be a part of that, but we all are valuable before the Lord. We actually see this concept of equality of personhood and distinction and role in the Trinity. That the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are, are totally equal to one another in their personhood. Yet while Jesus was on earth, there was this a distinction and role. We call it the economic Trinity. The Father sent the Son. The Spirit proceeds from both the Father and the Son and points back to the Son for God's glory. Kent Hughes described this Ephesians passage this way. He said, Ephesians presents men and women in an ordered equality. I like that phrase. I've really attached myself to it. Ordered equality in which there's no superiority or inferiority, simply differing roles. Now, if this is getting some of you all tangled up inside, it's bothering you, I just want you to know I can, under, I can understand it. In fact, I think the Lord actually knew that would happen as we tried to apply the divine order back to the design chapters. Let's go to Genesis chapter three. As the Lord was pronouncing the curse, he foretold two struggles that we would have in this outworking of ordered equality. Look at Genesis 3.16. So we're post-fall here. Sin has entered the world. The Lord is pronouncing the curse, and he said to the woman, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. But hear this part. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To the ladies, he said, your desire will be for your husband. You will actually desire to spurn or to take his role. You'll struggle 
with bumping him out of his lane. And husbands, you're going to struggle with dominating your wives, trying to be a king and not a sacrificial servant leader. Let's be reminded of what the passage is not saying. Male headship is not domination or tyranny or superiority or privilege. And ladies, submitting to your husband is not blindly following or lacking contribution or being inferior or unequal. So what does it mean then, wives, submit to your husbands? Wives, you're called to follow your husband as he follows Christ. To trust your husband to shepherd and steward your family in a, mo- a manner that honors the scriptures. To partner with him in setting your home up to glorify God. There are some limits to male headship and leadership. The divine order should never be used as something to cover up or justify sinful behavior. A wife should never submit to abuse or follow her husband into sin or into disobedience to the Lord. I love how John Stott put it in his commentary on Ephesians. He said, for her submission is not to be an unthinking obedience to his rule, but rather a grateful acceptance of his care. Men, be servant leaders. Wives, be loving helpers. Together, be mutually submissive and effective partners. Amy and I have an imperfect marriage. For those of you who know us, you know that. And for the most part, our marriage is a 50-50 affair and partnership. It definitely doesn't look like me making all of the decisions. We, we lean into each other's strengths and we cover each other's weaknesses. But at the end of the day, I recognize that my head is on the chopping block. That I bear the burden for what happens in the Hannon family. I know I've failed miserably. One time I ruined Christmas. I can remember Christmas was going to be on a Sunday. By the way, that's happening again this year. And Amy asked if we were going to go to church. Amy asked the pastor if we were going to celebrate the nativity, the birth of Christ, (laughs) the baby. God made man in Bethlehem on Christmas. Are we going to stay at home and focus on materialism? So I assumed the throne and dominated her. I made her feel this big, lectured, grandstanded of why we were going to be in church on Christmas. I ruined it. It's not leadership. There have been a few times, sorry, that was real. (laughs) There have been a few times in our marriage where things were just fuzzy. They were unclear. And I had to ask Amy, hey, could you trust me to make a call here and follow my lead? There have been other times where I actually had to follow Amy's lead because she was smarter than me. For those of you who know Amy, just give me a slight affirmative nod. Amy has this innate sense to um, understand the Northwest Arkansas real estate market. She's a real estate market whisperer. And there have been times when she said, we need to sell, or we need to build, or we need to go, or we need to stay. And she's been right every time. And all I was thinking of, house, good. (laughs) Protect from rain. (laughs) 
And I would say, well, I don't understand what you're talking about. And she would explain it to me. And she's been right every single time. And for her strength, I followed. You see, a healthy expression of the divine order should balance roles and responsibilities with teamwork and submission. Hey, let's continue in the passage. Husbands, you have some instruction as well. In fact, the weight of the passage falls on you. We've only looked at three verses. There are seven to come that will address the husbands. So husbands, brace yourselves. Buckle your chin straps because we're about to see your assignment to lead is not a position of privilege as much as it is a call to die for your bride. It says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, presenting her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or blemish, holy and blameless. It does not say husbands command your wives or criticize your wives or critique your wives. It says husband what? Love your wives. How? Well, just as Christ loved the church. And how did Christ love the church? He died for the church. He sacrificed himself for the church. He bled for the church. He poured himself out for the church. He emptied himself for the church. He gave his all to make the church holy, to present her complete, to empower her, the church, to become all that God intended her to be for God's glory. And the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5 gave an image for us to latch onto and what it looks like to be a servant leader in the home. And the image is the cross, not the throne. This is a call to servant leadership. It's a call to self-sacrifice, a love willing to die. So men, before you well up or puff up with pride and superiority at the position or role assigned to us by the Lord, make sure you count the costs. I've often described it as a burden that we bear more than a privilege we receive. So hear me clearly this morning, leadership in the home is about responsibility, not rank. It's about serving and sacrifice. It's about answering to God for the health of your home. We all inherited the sin of who? We all inherited the sin of who? Adam. It's about dying to self for the benefit of your spouse. And there's no room in the passage for either passivity or dominance. Here's what I hear from wives all the time. I would love to follow the leadership of a godly husband. I would embrace a servant leader. But when it comes to guiding us spiritually and relationally and emotionally, he's passive. When it comes to leadership, he's absent or makes little effort. And if you wanna see what that looks like, go to Genesis chapter three. Adam puts on a clinic of what passive male leadership looks like. There's no room for passivity, but there's also no room for dominance either. That your role, men, does not give you the right to exert power and control over your wife. Stott says it this way in his commentary. 
If headship means power in any sense, and it's power to care, not to crush. Power to serve, not to dominate. Power to facilitate self-fulfillment in your wife, not to frustrate or destroy it. And in all this, the standard of the husband's love is to be the cross of Christ. Jesus describes servant leadership, Mark chapter 10. He said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. That's not how the kingdom works. Instead, whoever wants to become great must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must become your slave. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to give his life as a ransom for many. A love willing to die. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Lead your bride as Christ loved the church. How? He gave himself up for her. He poured himself out for her. I didn't grow up around any Christian men. I never saw servant leadership in action. I never saw a man wash a dish or help around the house. All I ever saw were that men were the guys who went first, who sat at the head of the table. But that's not what I see in the scriptures at all. The passage goes on, verse 28. What does this look like? In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body just as Christ, but they feed it and care for their body just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. So how do we sacrificially love our wives? Well, husbands, love your wives as yourself. Just as you have instincts to perpetuate your own survival and health, love your spouse that way. After all, the passage says, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for it. Just as you would not intentionally harm yourself, no, you wouldn't, you wouldn't do that. That doesn't make sense, feed and care for yourself. That's what you would do. Now think about those two terms with me, feed and care. To feed is to nurture it's to be a source of good things. It's to be beneficial. To nurture your wife is to be a source of goodness in her life. To help her become everything that God wants her to be. And to care for her is to protect her from harm. It's to keep her from threats. So nurture your wives, protect your wives. Husbands, love your wife as you love yourself. I think we could bring it all together with this statement. It, it addresses both sides. A life-giving marriage requires dying to self for both husbands and wives. The divine order calls for mutual submission. Choosing us requires sacrificing me. Oneness is a result of submission and sacrifice. Husbands be servant leaders. Wives be loving helpers. And a marriage that reflects the humble and sacrificial love of Jesus is a marriage that reflects his cross. We find life in the context of marriage by dying to our daily selfishness and pride, by putting the needs of our spouse ahead of our own. The passage is going to close with a return to the blueprint chapters and also a picture that Paul calls a mystery. 
Paul concludes this section on marriage by quoting Genesis chapter two, verse 24. It reads, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. I can't think of any more simple definition of worship than simply oneness. Together, you should be one, not separate. Mutual submission should produce unity and harmony in the home as we live out our roles. And look at verse 32. He reveals this mystery. He says, I'm not talking about marriage. I'm talking about Christ and the church. Ultimately, the sacrificial love of a marriage is a reflection of Christ and his church. Christ, the sacrificial head or leader in the church, his radiant bride. You see, marriage is not just an institution designed to make you happy in life. It has a deeper purpose. It has a higher calling, as Paul described it, a mysterious intention. Check this out. A marriage that expresses the sacrificial love, mutual submission, humble service, committed faithfulness is one that points to the very love that God has for us. Do you want to know how much God loves you? The Bible says to consider the deep, committed, unconditional love that is shared between a husband and a wife. Take the mercy and the grace and the trust expressed and required over a lifetime in faithful marriage and know this, that is just a whisper. It's just a glimpse of how much God loves you. Would you pray with me? Well, Lord, we could never love another human being without seeing what love looks like. So we recognize the love of Jesus poured out for us on the cross. And Lord, it's my prayer that you would pour enough of that into us that we could work it out in the home and in our parenting and in our neighborhoods and the marketplace. So Lord, we thank you for showing us a love willing to die. In your name we pray. Oh, how he loves us so. Oh, how he loves us. How he loves us so. Yeah, he loves us. Oh, how he By the grace in his eyes If the race is an ocean We're all sinking Heaven met earth Like an unforeseen kiss In my heart it turns violently Inside of mine I don't have time to maintain These regrets
So glad you were here today. I'm glad you were here because maybe you're married and you needed a little booster to what your roles are. I'm also glad that you were here today because I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like I'm on a performance track and I need to hear that simple childlike expression, Jesus loves me. Hey, we've got some opportunities coming your way. Um, Hey, speaking of marriage, next Sunday night, we're having a marriage enrichment night. So if you were elbowed two or more times this morning, then you need to be here. Hey, that's $10 per couple, 4.30 to 6.30. We would like for you to register, especially if you're bringing children and we'll be in here. Dr. Gary Oliver is going to be with us. We're gonna laugh and we're gonna learn and it's gonna be a great night. If your community group meets that night, we would love for you to come together as a group. We're actually gonna meet together here and then go out to dinner together with our group. So great opportunity for you. Hey, ladies, coming up for you is an opportunity. November 15th, right? Hit the slide, November 15th. We've got a night with our own Amy Hannon. Amy's written a book and she's gonna share the heart of that book in here. And so join us 7 p.m. No registration required for that event. Also, I don't know if you've noticed, but the pumpkins have been replaced by Christmas trees and the holidays are coming up. And for some of us, that's a real tough time. Maybe this will be your first Christmas without a loved one or your first Christmas navigating the divorce and you need to process that. So this Tuesday night, we've got an opportunity for you over in the training center. You can register for it online, surviving the holidays class. It'll be great. Hey, if you need prayer today, uh, we would love to pray with you in the prayer room. Talk about anything you wanna talk about. Fellowship, we'll see you next week.